My name is Jimmy Speed. I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I'd like to thank God for my physical sobriety. And I'd like to thank God for the 12 step process of recovery outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first 164 pages and the eight pages of the doctor's opinion, which is the recovery process. And by the means in which I have been restored and also that was a ruthless, awesome spiritual pitch. Thank you for doing that and for agreeing to be my 10 minute speaker. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'd like to welcome those who are new or relatively new to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the fellowship. I'd like to welcome those unfortunates who keep coming back who have yet to get honest. And I'd like to welcome those who are celebrating a milestone. So before I start, I'm gonna do a little disclaimer. And that's based on my experience. I'm not here to entertain 50 people and have you laughing and shuckbucking and jiving and all of that good stuff. I'm not here to say what you need me to say in order for you to be okay. That happens a lot, by the way, and people get really, really restless and irritable and discontented and they break protocol and they forget themselves. So I wanna let you know that I'm here to carry this truth as I have been living it. And if it don't apply, let it fly. But if it hit, let it stick. I'm truly here. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm not here to do anything but carry the message. And the only thing that the message has been described to do is to interest and hold you, interest and hold you, interest and hold you. You know, there is no psychological medicine in what I'm gonna say. And I will never uh, be so spiritually grounded or be so spiritually high that my boots are not on the ground. I do have a bird's eye view of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been clean and sober in this program in all three parts for quite a minute. And I would like to say that I've been sober longer than I drank, but that would be a useless myth because I suffer from a progressive illness that has very little to do with what I put in. Drinking is about 5% of the problem. And I found that out when I got sober because the minute I get sober, I begin to walk and live in the manifestation of the true problem. I don't have a problem getting sober. I got sober every Friday, every Monday, every Wednesday. I have a problem staying sober. And I have historical, medical, and psychological empirical proof that tells me that something is wrong with me, right? And I couldn't put a finger on it before I came to AA. And even in the rooms of AA, you hear people talk about the progression of the disease in the terms of if I drink again. Well, I don't ever have to drink again to live in the fullness of alcoholism. And if you don't believe me, just find a sponsor with the working knowledge and go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and find out that if I didn't have a problem today, I wouldn't be on this Zoom sharing for 45 long minutes, right? I wouldn't take people through the steps I wouldn't read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't have the loving concern that I do for the newcomers because see, that's a selfish concern in the beginning based on me getting better. Now it's become a joy. And the book does say that 
around us, alcoholics are dropping off in oblivion. And when I think about oblivion, I think about me being in the last portion of my dis-ease, homeless, walking down the street, mumbling incoherently to myself with piss in my pants, not knowing what day of the week it was and not knowing what city I was in. And that had happened thousands of times. I'd be the real alcoholic, seldom mild, intoxicated, more or less insanely drunk. When I drink, I drink for the effects produced by alcohol. And if you don't know what the effects are, I'd like to tell you tonight that the effects are not falling down. The effects are not getting drunk. The effects are the moment I get stone cold sober, I produce alcoholism. I drink for the effects, meaning when I'm sober, it's the most egregious condition that I've ever <laughs> had to live in. Because even before I put in, I was conditioned for alcoholism by my reactions to the things that happened to me. So I'd already strengthened my neurosis with deep-seated belief systems that manifest way before I put in. And if you've ever heard my story, you hear the tales of how at five years old, I went to first grade and I lived in Helena, West Helena, Arkansas. I think the population was in the hundreds. I lived in a little one bedroom shanty with five boys and five girls, five boys in a rollaway bed, five girls in a rollaway bed. And my mom and dad had the bedroom. And I went to high school. I mean, I went to a school that had kindergarten to high school in one building. And when I went into that building, a white school teacher whipped me with a paddle the first day. And I want to tell you, I was so thrilled at going to school with my younger my oldest brothers and sisters, I was the third from the youngest. So they were all in school and I was so happy to walk those two miles to go to school with them. And when I walked in that door, she whooped my ass with a paddle like I had stole something without provocation. And it was because I brought my jacket in and she said, you had to leave your jacket outside on the, on the floor. And I sat petrified. And I began to dig in my nose like that. And she made me stand in front of the class and stick both my fingers as far up my nose as I could for the remainder of the class. Now at five years old, being full of joy, <laughs> I was radically shook. And I developed a deep-seated belief system that still permeates my life today, right? And so later on that day, I came back home and a couple of months later, my mom and dad divorced. And by then I had developed this construct. And that's just a device that I used to escape. A deep-seated belief system that I created that divorce and that they didn't love me. And I also had very low self-esteem, right? And it was very racist structurally where I come from. I chopped cotton at the age of 10. I picked cotton. And uh, it was really, really brutal growing up there. And so uh, I know what it's like to have a construct guide me in my thinking, to be so full of fear, right? Because when my mom left, she left at five and I didn't see her again until I was 13. And that fear of abandonment, and I'm talking post haste from, I'm talking post from the, the work that I did 30 some years later, because this is all seeing the truth about my life, going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was able to time travel and go back and look at my life before I put one in, getting really clear on the nature of my disease and understanding why I could not stop. And so uh, I saw the truth. 
I created that construct based on the conditions of my life. And I strengthen each construct. And I'll tell you how I know that. The fear of abandonment that was created when my mom left was not just her leaving. Every month or so, she would call and promise us that she was going to be there. And she would never come and get us. And we were shamed and ridiculed because little kids running around. She's coming. She's in Ohio. She's going to come and get us. And that just brought a defeated, powerless purpose, just like it was on my first day of school. And I don't tell these stories to get pity because I don't have any negative connotation associated with my past. My past is absolutely what needed to happen to my life in order for me to be the person I am. I accept fully the life that God has given me, and I accept it with all the the graciousness that that he has for us. You know, and I've created several uh, inspirations out of it all. So I don't want any pity. Don't pity me because ain't nothing in me to be pitied. Everything that has happened to me has been just the way that it's supposed to be in the lifestyle that I live. So as I continue, I haven't even taken a drink and I won't take a drink for about (laughs) 13 years, right? But I build on this neurosis because I develop this fear of abandonment without knowledge, of course, and the word anonymous means unknown and unacknowledged. The word anonymous means unknown or unacknowledged. I don't know what I'm up against. I think drinking is my problem, and I really do. So by the time I took a drink, I needed a drink. By the time I played football, I was a raging fool at about 15. I was really good at everything that I did, and I didn't know that being an overachiever was based on me feeling less than, me wanting to prove to the world, me wanting to show the world that I was who I was. And so I lived that way, teenager, going through molestations. Uh, The same people that took me to church are the same people that beat me with extension cords. And I can tell you all about extension cords. And like I said, I'm not doing this story. I am gonna share for 45 minutes. So I'm gonna get it deep into the hearts of my story. So please uh, don't get fragile. Just take the story as a story. I may get a little bit more ruthless in my story because I come from a different cultural background where I'm able to get a little bit more ruthless about what I did to get through what I had to get through with. I don't have anything to hide. I don't have any pain connected to my story. I have healed from everything that I've been through. I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. But I can remember getting whipped every single day with extension cords. And the most I could make out of it was to count the whips and to make a game out of who got the most. And so I can tell you I've been tied up naked as a child and beaten and beaten really bad. I can tell you that I've been thumped in the head with the third finger. And I remember that more than the whippings. I've been starved. I've been worked uh, 12 hours a day, seven days a week in the cotton fields, and I only got $10 of the $60 we got every week. And I can tell you that I walked to school two miles every day, and I slept in a bed with five boys, and I'm the shortest boy, 6'2", 250 pounds. So I can tell you that it's some giants, and three of us are in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous today. And I do not believe that what I went through made me an alcoholic. I believe that my reactions to it and the construct that I built made me fertile ground for alcoholism. I was just a drink waiting to happen, baby. (laughs) I needed that drink more than that drink needed me. And so by the time I got to middle school and high school, I was a superior athlete. I had superior muscle development because I would run to school with bricks in my backpack every day. Uh, I was phenomenally aggressive. You know, called me a little alpha male. I was crazy. I carried a gun everywhere I went. I was very intelligent meaning I read all the books, the literature, 
Hamlet, Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it's noble in the mind. I read them all. I could recite volumes of information. I had a photogenic memory. I could play darts and get bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. I could kick you with my feet. I could box with my hands. I could do anything that I thought I was capable of doing. I was a quick study and I was very afraid. <laughs> I wanna make that clear. I was driven by fear because I had moved from Arkansas to Ohio. And let me tell you the Huff riots, those black people scared the hell out of me because I come from Helena, Arkansas where we didn't wear shoes, man. And where I didn't, I thought that lifestyle was okay. What I went through was normal. But coming to the Ohio the first day of school, whoo, shotgun blast, people getting killed, people robbing you and then patting you on the back the next day, uh, the culture, the walk, you know, that shit was strange to me because I was already lost in books. I was escaping already. And uh, I went to school the first day and got my ass whooped. I didn't know it was a shark tank. I mean, I got beat down. And I went home scared as hell because I knew that was going to be an everyday occurrence. And my older brothers had already been there for the past eight years. And they looked at me and said, you take a bat. You walk up to him while he's talking. And you hit him in the head. And you scream as loud as you can. And anybody come around there, you, you just take off on me. And so the next day, he came to do me again. And I'm like 113 pounds at 13 years old. I was emaciated from being starved my whole life dude came at me and I just listened to my brothers and took clear-cut directions. Hit dude in the head and went on a screaming tangent. <laughs> and from that day, I have never been messed with again. From that day, something clicked in my mind that this is a predatory world and you need to be as big as you can, as fast as you can, and as crazy as you can, and you need to get them before you, they get you. And I became that person. I became that person. And so I played football at a very high level. I never left the field. Offense, defense, punt return, kick return. And I was wild. And we had an all black team, the last of the teams that had not been segregated, last of the high schools, John Hay High School, class of 1981. We still did not have white folks at that school. And so they started that process, but we were making a big deal in the papers because we had not been segregated. And of course, playing football in Ohio, if you know anything about football, Canton, uh, Akron, it is God. Football is the shit. And so we were playing against these white teams and they were powerhouses. Of course, they were, you know, we were playing the best we could. And uh, last football game, we had a chance to win the city championship. And I wanted it bad because that's all I had. All I had was the ability to get on the field and just go around like a ping pong ball and just let all that shit out, right? And uh, I think we had six seconds to go. They had been cheating the hell out of us. They just cheating us, man. And uh, it was breaking my spirit because I don't like that shit today, right? I will outwork you, I'll study you, I'll outdo you because I know where I'm at and I know what it is I got to do to get ahead. I will go to any lengths to be successful and to have what I think I need in my life for my family, my kids and everything. And uh, six seconds left, I, we were down by a touchdown. And I looked at the coach and I said, give me the football. I'm going in. And he said, 42 wham trap, which is the fourth eye back in the back, going up the second hole to the right. 
I took it and ran 99 yards in. And the referee called backfield in motion. And that night I took my first drink. Talking about resentful. Man, if you ever seen Bernie Mac play in Mr. 3000, I was like that. <laughs> I, was, I was fucked up. I spent my whole life knowing we were going to win. I had willpower like you would not believe. I ran to school every day. And then when I got to school, I would practice and do. I was on another level, right? And I knew that I had to wait a thousand count to one, one thousand before I took off to catch the ball. I knew they cheated me. Life was not fair and it hadn't been fair. And I had a philosophy that I was doomed from the womb. I said that my whole high school, I'm doomed from the womb. It was a philosophy of mine. I'm doomed from the womb. I used to say shit like my mind is like a black hole sucking all light and self-sufficiency within it because I believed in quantum physics and all that. I had these inspirations that I created for my own shit. And I did not know that I was alcoholic and fertile ground already. Little was I to know that night I took a drink. They had a fifth of 151 rum, the white stuff. And I had a cutlass. And I took that fifth and I turned it up. And I drank half of it. This was my first time taking a real drink. I had drank some of my daddy's grass monkey thinking it was orange juice. But I'm talking my real first drink. And they were screaming, no, 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 no. And I didn't know why. It burned my throat. It took my breath. <laughs> and somebody popped a 16 ounce of Coca-Cola in the bottles that they used to have on the inside of my car door. And I drank half of it. And it started shaking. And I thought it was a good idea to pour it into 151. And it started fizzing, and so I turned the rest down. And that was my first drink. And I blacked out for three days. I had on a pair of Humphrey Bogart baggies, a pair of black and white Stacey Adams. I had on a black, thick Chinese collared shirt. I had on a black brim, tilted to the side. I used to dress in GQ magazine. So you know I had a cummerbund on under that? I was, I was, <laughs> let me tell you, I drank like that for 20 years. Let me tell you, I drank like that for 20 years. That's how I drank, alcoholically to the bone, all day, all night. And I didn't know I drank for the effects. And while I'm in it, I'm going to throw this in. I also, in my fifth year of drinking, I started smoking crack cocaine. I smoked $400 for crack cocaine every single day. And I did everything I could do to control and enjoy and if you ask me to choose between one and the other, I also smoke a, three fingers of weed every single day. And it's just like crack cocaine and alcohol to me. When I put in, all bets are off. And I synergize those with a pack of Newports every single day. So I can tell you, I am insane when I put in. I don't know where I'm at. I wake up 400 miles away from where I'm at. I don't know how I got the car. I don't know how my teeth got knocked out. I don't know how I got stabbed or shot. I don't know what car, where I'm at. I don't know what day it is. I don't know who these girls are. Now, those are symptoms. They don't even make me alcoholic, by the way. So I'll tell you, somewhere around my fifth or seventh year, I did have tremendous drive for success. I thought I'd be a millionaire by the time I was 23. I thought I played in the professional ranks of sports, boxing, football, basketball. I could do all of that. Little was I to know that alcoholism 
didn't give a damn about my dreams, right? So I was to move to a, a place called California at the age of 30 after graduating from Ohio University. And I can tell you, I only graduated because the American educational system is based on memorization, not creativity. I have a photogenic memory and I got banned from every dorm but the international dorm. So I was in judiciary every damn month, getting straight A's. And I can tell you, I wish that I could go back and relive the encounter because I never had a childhood and I never had a middle age. I was drunk. I was drunk all the time. I was full of rage. Uh, by the time I got to California, I, I knew I was in trouble because there is no middle of the road in California. You either fast or you slow. And I can tell you my first day of sobriety was at the Fountain Valley Alano Club right there on Brookhurst and Howe. And I stayed there for long enough to understand the nature of this disease, but I'd like to tell you about what happened before I got there. Uh, I'm a low bottom gutter drunk, and I'm not talking about my environment because I shopped where the Dodgers shopped at one time. I hung with the Cleveland Browns at one time. I've had every European car you can imagine. I'm low bottom. I can't stop and I don't know why. And my willpower is insufficient for the day when I put in. I don't know what the hell's wrong with me. I'm actually talking to myself through, through the cycle, right? <laughs> I'm trying to use my willpower, but my willpower is insufficient when it comes to what? The obsession. Now I know that there's something wrong, but I don't have a name for it. I don't know it's the obsession of the mind. I don't know that it's the phenomenon of craving. I don't know nothing. All I know is damn, something's wrong with me and I'm voicing it to myself, but I don't have the strength to go to somebody else and say, hey, I got a drinking problem. I didn't even know that you could say that. I didn't know you could go to treatment. I didn't know you could go to the hospital and say, hey, I drank too much last night and I feel poison coursing through my vein and I might die. I didn't know any of that. So I took it like a champ. Homelessness for about a decade. I've been shot twice. And I'm only saying this story. I got shot behind a blackout where I don't even know that the bullet is in me and I don't go to the doctor, I drink and use behind that. You know, I've been left for dead several times. I've been rolled. And if you've never been rolled, <laughs> you're eligible too. That means they take all your clothes, your $500 jacket, your $200 pants, their $500 shoes. They take your belt, they take everything and you wake up and you're like, what in the hell happened? What happened? And this is repeated over and over but I don't know how to stop. So I'm always wearing nice clothes out until one day I don't have shit. One day I'm on the streets and I got piss on me that is dried up and I don't know I peed on myself. And I'm walking around mumbling incoherently to myself. You motherfucker with me, I kill a motherfucker. I don't tell a motherfucker what to do, I don't tell a motherfucker. I'm that person that you see. I'm that person that you see when you lock your damn door. <laughs> and you know what? I would get resentful when people lock their door. Because deep down inside, I knew that I was a person. But I know what I look like today. I was funky, greasy, sleazy, and slimy. But I felt like a person inside, and I wanted people to treat me like a person. Now I understand. No love and tolerance in the real world. <laughs> so I can tell you, man, I suffered the throes of homelessness and joblessness. I became unemployable. And there's a process to becoming unemployable. On the day when I get a job, I put one in and I cannot make it the first day. And I'm calling in. I want to so bad. 
the mind is still understanding, but the body cannot go. That happened multiple times to me. Towards the end, I'm completely gone. And I got a brother that's doing life in the penitentiary today. He's not one of us. And he rented me an apartment down in San Bernardino, California, on 49th and Waterman, which is the street right before you go up to Big Bear. And I knew I was hopeless. A lot of you guys are lying in AA. You come in AA and you're lying like this time it's going to be different. Well, actually, it's not. Everybody on this thread is going to get loaded again, short of a spiritual experience, short of growth and effectiveness in the spiritual experience. We're all doomed without a psychic change. And the psychic change I had October 21st, 1999, is not sufficient enough to run this day. It's like a steak I ate two weeks ago. It's not sufficient enough to nourish my body. I now understand the progressive nature of the disease. It is me, it is me, it is me. And so I've been beaten again into a state of reasonableness. I understand this shit is bigger than I thought it was. Because before I came into the program, you couldn't have told me I was an alcoholic or addict. The two, it, that didn't enter into my thought process. But yet I'm drinking every day. Everything I've done was behind drugs and alcohol. I'm homeless, I'm jobless. The last year of my dis-ease, the active part, I was evicted three times. Now, anybody that's been evicted know the process. You got about 90 days, right? How you get evicted three times? Really trying. That means I really tried. That means I mentally knew, but physically couldn't. So coming into the program, my first day, you guys amazed me. And I also want to say the structure of your group is impeccable. I really appreciate the structure, the order, the traditions that you guys manifested to us. We do the same thing. If a newcomer comes in, they need to see order. They need to see the traditions being manifested. They need to see the welcome, welcome. And a lot of people got clean and sober on Zoom. More to come, goddammit. <laughs> There's more to come. Don't get it twisted. This is the fellowship. There's service. Without service, I'm a dead man. And I go out and find people. I go and travel places. So I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I was quietly desperate, but I needed the links in the chain to be exposed. I did not come in like most people uh, with the outlook full of fear. I didn't come in with, I came in a narcissist and an arrogant ass person. If, if Hank could do it, damn it, I can do it. That's all I needed to see was him doing it. Right. What I didn't know is what it took to do it. <laughs> right. I came in the room. The obsession was lifted, not removed. The obsession was lifted the day I walked through the Fountain Valley Alano Club. I never had another obsession in 21 years. But I can tell you, I didn't know anything. It was unknown to me. The nature of the disease, the full nature of the disease had to be manifested in my sobriety, working the steps, tapping into this power. And once I found God, I began to understand. This is bigger than me because you're either driven by the disease of alcoholism or you're driven by the spiritual aspect of the program. The book says we begin to be possessed by a new sense of power, strength, and direction. I know what possession means. It means I don't want to work with this newcomer. Damn it, why am I working with him there? I don't want to go out here and travel. Why am I going out to San Francisco? Why am I going out to Las Vegas? It means I will go to any length to attempt to repay the God who saw me 
I'm a hopeless dope fiend alcoholic. Love me enough to restore my mind, right? To put me out in front of people and to have me healed in my thinking. And I, I understand some things about myself that I never did understand. I created that construct at about five. The book says we are born that way. Now I understand what it means. We are born creating the construct or the belief system which governs our mind. And now I'm understanding that my mind is simply a hub from which all thoughts emanate, right? And they vibrate and travel into my physical manifestation, even into the embedding the chemicals in my body, right? And I understand that now when I'm triggered by some emotional stimuli, right? Being alcoholic, that's just extreme. Nothing is never the way that it is. And we have this thing we say in our group, and it is actually untreated alcoholism. <laughs> in my own selfish and self-centered way, I think the most important thing is the way I feel. I expect people, places, and things to change so that I can feel better. And I will go to any length to make people, places, and things become what I want them to become. And there I am trapped, waiting on all these things to change. But there is hope. People, places, and things don't have to change. If I'm willing to go through the 12-step process of recovery, I can be free. I can be free from what I think. The prison, I created the prison put myself in it, locked myself up, kidnapped myself, held myself for ransom against any spiritual growth. <laughs> this is how powerful, and when I say my disease, you know what I mean now, right? It's me, it's me, it's me. There's nothing outside of me doing push-ups. That's a lie told from the pits of whatever lie we tell. There's no just don't drink no matter what. That's a lie told from the pits of hell. There is no, well, all I get in this day is sobriety. Well, guess what? In a day, I pause when agitated. Upon awakening, I pray, dear God, please. You hear that? Please, I'm offering. Please divorce my thinking from selfishness and self-centeredness and dishonesty and fear. God, please direct me to where you would have me to be. And I believe that, guys. I'm going to let you guys know. When I said that I wasn't here to share for you guys what you think I need to hear. I'm here to tell you I believe in this program. I, I've written books. I'm in the facility that I created. I came up here and started groups. I got sponsees. I got a beautiful wife. I do okay. I got a beautiful kids. Man, that stuff is not reality. Those are constructs. The book says money, property, and prestige divert me from my primary purpose. And all constructs are simply devices which allow me to recognize what I'm attached to. Even Alcoholics Anonymous is a construct. However, it's a construct or a specific tool designed to do a specific thing. This is my truth. You don't have to admit, you don't have to uh, adhere to this, right? So once I come into the rooms of AA, I'm in a fellowship. And in the fellowship, the book says once in a while here and there, alcoholics have had what I call a vital spiritual experience. That means not everybody's having a vital spiritual experience. Not everybody wants a, bio, a, a 
vital spiritual experience. Not everyone needs a vital spiritual experience. For me, I now know that the disease that's manifested when I get clean and sober for this one day, one hour, one year or 20 years, the disease that I manifest is of a spiritual nature. And I don't recover from a hopeless state of mind, body and spirit. I recover from a hopeless state of mind, which is the obsession has been removed through the 12 step process of recovery and belief and faith in God. And I can only have belief and faith in God in the awareness that I have of him. So I must do the work to remove what I think, or at least have a chance to uncover, discover and discard. And I recover from a hopeless state of body. The allergy is no longer what? Manifested as long as I don't put in, I don't manifest the allergy of the body. So now I'm clear that the, the spiritual part is an ever flowing. That's a channel. And I'm finding this out. Every day I'm growing in this program. The mind, body, and spirit are not in opposition to one another. The mind, body, and spirit are merely channeling one from the other. And so now I'm clear that if I want to get over the drink question, if I want to get over the drink problem, I got some things that I must do today. I'm not afforded the dubious luxury of what? The brainstorm. You do know what the brainstorm is, right? If not, let me give you my interpretation of the brainstorm. We have a program outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first 164 pages of the big book and the eight pages of the doc's opinion. We have some beautiful flowers, some real seed planters, some real teachers, some real sponsors, some real men and women, the ex-problem drinker who's found the solution, who's properly armed with facts about themselves, who can win your entire confidence, who are properly armed, not just armed, properly armed with facts. That's the truth. They're honest. And when shit goes down the pipe, when alcoholism rears its ugly head, when we wake up and we feel restless, irritable, and discontent, we have the nerve to try to think of some other way. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Why do I feel this way? What's going on in my life? No, there's nothing going on. All you have to do is look at the first step and look at the second part of it. See, my life is unmanageable whether I'm drinking or not. That is something I had to experience. I have undulations all the time. The 12-step program is not for perfect people. So I've given up the rights and the privileges. And this is something that happened to me as a result of what has happened to me in sobriety. I had to give up the rights and privileges. And I got to speak those words, those words of frequency. That's why I think Austin did such a great job. He spoke the frequency of what it was like, what happened and what it was like today. I find that I do get whiffs of information coming from what it was like, coming down the time stream. And I find sometimes that I don't know why I feel like I do, but I realize that those emotions are open forever. And my feelings haven't changed since I got here. I can still be hurt easily. I still have fear, I'm just not dominated. I have resentments, I've learned to master them, right? But it's my reaction to the feelings that are different. My reactions are different. And my reactions are different because now I'm doing different contrary actions. I'm trusting the will of God rather than my will. And I wanna explain, when I say will of God, it is one plus one, it's almost mathematical. The big book is mathematical to me. That means it's a solution. It's not something that's multiple choice, right? And I'll explain what I mean. My alcoholic mind is alcoholic 24-7. So ask yourself this consideration in a 24-hour period, when are you not an alcoholic? In that same 24-hour period, when do you not have alcoholism? 
And once I, I asked myself that consideration about three years ago and it blew my mind because I'm like, what a powerful program. I'm not beating my wife. I'm not touching my kids inappropriately. I'm not laying in the bed worried about financial problems. I trust the almighty God. And it's not an anthropomorphic idea of God. I want to say that it's not a Euro-colonial aspect of God. I want to explain to you that God lives within me in an idea. All ideas are perfect, the big book says. So this idea is a spiritual idea that I had to seek diligently. And I, because of who I am, I had to search with desperation. I'll give you the equivalency of the desperation, like being underwater too long. And you know what's about to happen. And you start fighting for your life. I'm talking to the newcomers right now. And when I say fight for your life, you're not thinking, you're not asking questions, you're not wondering, you're not building constructs. The only thing that matters is air. And when you want to breathe more than you want to get loaded, more than all that other stuff, you're going to start seeking a solution. You're going to get a sponsor that you know his whole deportment shouts at you, his whole character, his whole being. I'm in AA. I ain't ashamed of nothing here. I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not afraid of people in AA. I'm here to tell the truth. That's all I'm here for. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not tiptoeing dancing. If you like me, that's fine. If you don't, write about it. Because you not liking me is not going to change the color of my skin. Nor is it going to change me from being an alcoholic. So guess what? I've learned that everybody's not supposed to like me. Damn it. And just because you don't like me don't mean I got to not like you. <laughs> and I have some tolerance today. You know why I have tolerance? Because when I do that inventory, I can see where I was selfish. I can see where I was self-centered. I can see where I was driven by fear. And I can see where I was under a delusion. And a delusion is the supreme action I take to create, support, and sustain the lie I tell myself. I'll say it again. The delusion is the supreme action I take to create, support, and sustain the lie that I tell myself. And the book is asking me to become the watcher. The book says we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. The book is saying if you don't have measures, the book is trying to tell me half-stepping, bullshitting, playing with this deal, you're going to pay a spiritual price for it. It warns us all through the work. So I've been working with all these people since I've been six months sober. And let me tell you my observation. I'm talking about experience. Now you tell me in what world does your experience not count? In what world would you tell a newcomer that they have the same time as you do? When time is the experience acquired in your sobriety. My time sober, my experience is my sobriety. The strength is when I work the steps to overcome having to let my son go that I raised from seven months sobriety, a one pound child that reunified with me at home as a single dad while I went to school and traveled four hours a day to go to and fro from work on the four five to the 10. And I had to let that boy go because he stepped outside the natural confounds of reality. So I can tell you what it means to trust God. If trusting God was easy, guess what? We'd be some trusting God people. 
I find that trusting God has been one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. It is going against the grains. And when I say trusting God, I mean trusting that he knows better his will. And for me, God's will is in the big book of our host. I want to be honest. When I created this place, I wrote the bylaws. I wrote the articles of corporations. I did a 940. I did everything. That wasn't in the big book. That ain't in the big book. I needed Pedge help with that. I needed Lonzo's help with that. <laughs> See, I needed help with that. I had to go to other people. Non-alcoholics can show you that. I had to be, I had to learn everything. Learn how to write a book ain't in there. I had to take the principles, demonstrate them radically. I'm talking about me. You may be tepid. You may not even have to read the book. You know, there's people in the program that has never read the book. And when I say read, I mean to examine it critically and minutely as to ascertain what's in it element by element it should save my life is that five minutes is that five this is so good time passes so fast when you're in the spiritual realm of understanding i'm so grateful <laughs> man look if you're new or relatively new i must take the last five minutes to talk to you the program of alcoholics anonymous really works but it only works if you work it I want to tell you that sobriety is a gift. I've been sober so many times, I can't tell you. I have a numerical illustration of how many times I got sober during a 20-year drinking career. I got sober 5,555 times. And each time I got sober, it was after a catastrophic consequence that caused me to say, wow, I need to get sober. Shootings, teeth knocked out, head in the head, all kinds, left a dead, abandoned building, floored my car, all kinds of stuff. Each time I picked up, <laughs> without my permission, and without my consideration, I didn't give a damn who was in my life, I'm gonna pick up again. So coming to AA, I got ruthless honest as a newcomer. Do you know the first step, the principle is honesty? And when I say honest, I don't mean about the bank robbery, the check cashing and all that. I mean, I can't put one in without losing control. And I got stories to back it up. I can't stay stopped once I'm sober. I'm delusional. I mislead my own mind in order to drink again. See, it's me, it ain't nothing outside of me. I'm the diseased state of mind. And I had to realize that all the pain and suffering in my life was just misdirected thinking, which produced a stone wall of emotions, which caused me to be breathless. I produce a spiritual malady. And if that be the case, I'm the co-creator. And once I found out I was the co-creator, I want to tell you guys something. I, I read the book in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. I've studied man to find out that you are the co-creator and that the most high God loves you so much and he put his spirit deep down within us but it is blocked by me and self-will which is what I think I want to do what I want to do and regardless of the evidence of my life I will still crash that wall knowing that it's going to be and so people say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results stop lying insanity is doing the same thing over and over again knowing exactly what's going to happen but deluding my mind into thinking that this time it's going to be different. And that, my friend, is the true, true definition of a real alcoholic. Now, I drink a fifth of liquor every day. But there are people that drink a half a gallon every day. So we had different levels of alcoholism. But if you be on the scale of alcoholism, I want to tell you a secret that nobody has the balls to tell you in Alcoholics Anonymous. The scales of alcoholism are equally spaced distant ratio. That means they're equally spaced from one to 12. 
one being the lesser alcoholic, 12 being a crazy mofo like most of us here. If you're at one and I'm at 12 and I stopped 21 years ago, there's a common denominator. Once you get on the scale, you can never get off. You can only progress forward, stop drinking, treat the disease, and realize that parallel my sound reasoning, that's my sound firm logic and thinking and intellect, is a trivial excuse for getting loaded today. Once I realized the nature of alcoholism, I stopped. And I wanna say this before I end share, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having alcoholism. You are not responsible for being lost. You are responsible for seeing the same damn thing over and over again and not asking for help and directions. You know damn well the problem, the drinking problem at least. So stop lying about the drink problem. Just get raw and honest with that. If you're in the first step, get raw and honest about that drink problem, about none being able to stop, about being restless and tore up, about the emotional part, about the creator that you are. Because alcohol ain't did shit to me. It ain't got no legs, no arm, no breath, no eyes, no nothing. It's my relationship with alcohol that is going to destroy me. And today, my mind, once an alcoholic, it didn't just mean physical, always an alcoholic. That means if I fail to enlarge my spiritual life, guess what happens to me? I may not drink again, but I can guarantee you that I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. And in that situation, I can kill, I can plunder, I can divorce, I can do everything that I did drunk. Don't, don't get it twisted. I'm going to tell the truth today. So I would like to welcome you to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I saw one of my sponsees dropping our information in the uh, the chat. If you want to connect with me, if you want to talk, I see a lot of the brothers I know. I see big Big Sponge down there, Carrie, right? I see Peg down there. Brother, it's good to see you. I see AJ, is that her? I see a lot of my people here. That's pretty cool. I want to welcome you guys to Alcoholic None. I see you, Oren. Congratulations on your four months, brother. Keep doing the work, man. I'm talking about we clock in and we never clock out. I want to say that. All that bullshit that's been going on, punch in and never punch out. I've lost the rights and privileges to be normal. I'm not normal. I've lost the rights and privileges not to fellowship. I've lost the rights and privileges not to be of service. I've lost the rights and privileges not to pray upon awakening. I've lost the rights and privileges not to do a review. And when I get the rights and privileges back, guess what I get to do? I get to get the right to privileges to drink again. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening. My time is up.